The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast. I guess this is technically episode 34, but I am coming at you solo today. As Chad was unable to join me, he may record his own Keep or Cut episode midway through the week, kind of responding to this one. We'll see what happens. But we're at the end of the season. This is it. We've reached the ending. I'm recording on Saturday about... in the middle of the games. I think the Yankees game's already over, but the bulk of the games are yet to begin. And I'm hoping that we were able to help you win some leagues this year. Now, admittedly, Tanner Houck maybe failed some of you guys. Dominic Smith maybe failed some of you guys. But for all of our misses, we hit as well. Marcus Semien, Paul Goldschmidt, guys that Chad and I were pretty high on. So it's been a it's been a year of up and downs like every other fantasy baseball season has been. But bottom line is I hope that you are in good shape in your fantasy baseball championships. I'm shifting my attention, especially since this episode is going to come out after the season has already ended, towards next year. And when I'm thinking about next year, I was thinking, what are my takeaways from 2021? And that's what this episode is going to be about. I was thinking about doing an episode of my way too early top 10, but I don't think anybody really wants to hear that. And it would probably change so much, maybe not so much, but change enough between now and the beginning of draft season that it's probably not worth doing just yet. So instead, I wanted to look at what are my takeaways? What are my big takeaways from this season? And I could really come up with four. There are four things that I thought, I don't know if they surprised me this year, if they kind of just shifted my approach and my drafts or what it might be. But without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in. So my first big takeaway from 2021 is that I think it's time I stop ignoring the catcher position. Now that sounds a little ridiculous. I don't, I don't mean that I completely ignored it. And I'm actually not the type to just completely forget about the position and be like, I'll just wait until you know, outside the top 200 picks and just take some guy who I like on a pretty good offense or whatever. Uh, I was never that way, I guess, but sometimes in drafts I did end up there and I I think I was too okay with that. I was too okay with rostering catchers who aren't that good. And I'm willing to bet a lot of teams that won championships this year had a top seven catcher. Now, according to ESPN's player Raider, which has its flaws. It 
overvalues stolen bases, which explains number eight on this list anyway. But on that ESPN player rater for 2021, which basically weighs the five offensive categories uh, in standard fantasy leagues, Salvador Perez was number one. JT Real Muto was number two. Will Smith, number three. Buster Posey, number four. Wilson Contreras, number five. Yasmani Grandal, six. And Mike Zunino with his 31 homers, but horrible batting average, came in seventh. After that, you would need a lot of guesses to figure out who number eight was. Number eight was Christian Vasquez, who is having a horrible season. But his eight stolen bases, I guess, was enough of a contribution to put him eighth. Yadier Molina, ninth. Tyler Stevenson, tenth. I mean, the the position becomes a disaster after Zunino, in my opinion. Now, if you are someone who is lucky enough to stream the right catcher at the right time. You know, at the beginning of the year, maybe you had Omar Narvaez when he was really hot, and then you switched to Haas in Detroit, and he was tearing it up for a little bit, and and you kind of finagled your way into surviving a a poor situation at the catcher position. I just don't want to have to go through that. And I'm willing to bet, again, that a lot of teams that won championships that are that are closing in on a title in these final 24 hours are teams that had one of those first seven names. Now, maybe Ruiz, Rushman, you know, Campisano, Alvarez, eventually, maybe they begin to change the landscape as some of those guys are, are close to, to getting the call. A few others have already been called up. You know, the catcher position, I think, has a, has a bright future. Obviously, Henry Davis just went, what, number one overall in the draft, but... I don't know. Right now, the position is feast or famine, and I'm tired of starving at this position. I was very lucky. I made a trade earlier in the year in one of my keeper leagues. Yusei Kikuchi was coming off a series of really strong starts, and everybody was was worried about how thin or unpredictable starting pitcher was going to be this year. And Dominic Smith wasn't doing anything like he didn't do for most of the year, but he he hadn't lost a lot of the hype that he had going into the season just yet. And I was able to flip the two of those for Salvador Perez. And I have to say, I think this experience, the Salvador Perez 2021 experience has converted me into somebody who will be at least a little bit more attentive to who their catcher is in the draft. And again, I I really didn't embrace that punt the position, just grab, you know, Christian Vasquez with the 280th pick or whatever it would be. Not that he was going quite that late. I'm just trying to use him as an example. I wasn't somebody that really embraced that strategy. I was just okay with it, too okay with it, if that ends up being the case. And I don't know, it just seeing that divide from those top seven to all the rest of the position. I don't want to be at that much of a disadvantage at a given position. So I am going to start considering investing a little bit earlier in the position and definitely being more conscious of, okay, you know, Grandal and Contreras just went off the board. There's a catcher run here. Maybe I want to lock up a catcher and actually pay attention to this run as opposed to laughing at all these catchers going early. So lesson number two is to stop being overly exposed to or drafting too highly prospects and injured players we can start with the injuries tommy john guys noah syndergaard chris sale luis severino they all took longer to return than anticipated things came up setbacks happened and if you were situating your rotation around them returning i mean nobody was building their rotation around those guys but i don't know i i thought it was a a pretty good 
strategy. I didn't think it was that bad of a strategy to reach just a little bit to make sure you got one of these guys, particularly Sailor Severino, and that just proved to be a poor decision. It didn't even have to be Tommy John, though. Like, Tommy John is a very serious procedure for a pitcher. Some guys come back, they pitch great. Some guys, it takes them a much longer time. You know, it's there's no one clear answer to how is this player going to perform when he returns from Tommy John or how quickly is he going to return. But even guys like Carlos Carrasco, right? Cookie tore his hamstring in spring training. I remember reading an article on Yahoo in April that he was due back sooner than than expected. I drafted him in a lot of leagues expecting like, all right, you know, maybe this injury actually takes him a while and he's not back until May. He didn't make his season debut until July 30th. That is an absolute killer if you thought you were getting a discount by taking an injured guy who was going to return by the end of April or worst case scenario, May, and then missing him until the end of July. Every injury is its own situation. Even the same injuries for different dudes can like, they can have wildly different outcomes, wildly different timelines. I get that. But I'm done after this season drafting a player who's hurt just because he's supposed to return soon. Setbacks were happening all the time this year. I don't know if it was a conditioning thing because 2020 was so short. I don't know if maybe it was just guys that I was rostering and so I have this warp point of view. But I do feel like injuries were especially bad this year and the timelines it took guys to return. So going into my drafts next year, if someone's currently hurt, unless it's like full-on guarantee he is activated day one it's just he's gonna miss the rest of spring training but he's gonna play on opening day unless it's like that i'm probably not drafting that particular player unless i'm getting a huge discount it was the opposite this year in a couple of my especially my deeper leagues where you really need to get that 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 reach and that advantage and maybe getting a player like chris sale at a good enough pick is enough of a risk to really make it worth it But I ended up with Sale in too many. And again, maybe he's the worst example for this because he actually eventually came back and he's made, what, seven, eight starts, whatever it might be. But if you invested in these guys, you really got nothing in return. And even in Carrasco's case, the pitcher eventually comes back and he's not even good. He he has not been good. So, I mean, obviously that's a part of, of drafting any player. Of course, they might not perform up to your expectations, but you're setting yourself up for trouble by drafting an injured player. And I realize this is this is gonna blow up in my face sometimes. Even this year, some people were probably pretty happy with where they were able to get Framber Valdez after that finger situation. I think he fractured his finger. I just think when you are literally drafting your team, you have a clean slate in front of you. Why do you want to taint it by bringing on an injured guy already unless the price is absolutely insane, like slam dunk bargain? Like if I saw Chris Sale on the board at pick 250, you know, if, if, if we were to do it all over again, I'd be like, okay, you know, maybe this, this risk is, is worth it at this point. But I found myself, I find myself quite often reaching for these guys that are hurt and it always bites me. There's some sort of setback or the comeback. They're not that great. And I feel even stronger about this when it comes to prospects. So not injuries, but drafting prospects. So sure. And we've talked about this before the last two years, prospects like Alec Manoa, Shane McClanahan, of course, Wander Franco, he did have a little bit of a slow start, but I mean, he's obviously been worth it. And a few others have blossomed. Anderson and Hayes, they were terrific in 2020. That's Ian Anderson and Key Brian Hayes. This is just becoming more rare though. Like, I mean, 
listen to this list of names. Jared Kelnick, Jaron Duran, Logan Gilbert, Spencer Howard, Nate Pearson, Gavin Lux, Mackenzie Gore, Joe Adele, Brendan McKay, Alec Baum, Carter Keeboom, Dylan Carlson, Andrew Vaughn, Matt Manning, Vidal Brujan, Edward Cabrera, Daniel Lynch, Joey Bart, Reed Detmers, Christian Pache, Davey Garcia, Dane Dunn. I could go on. I could go on. Now, I'm willing to bet a ton of those names, maybe most of those names, end up as anywhere from solid to great players. I'm not here calling those names busts. I am willing to bet, though, that in your drafts, in my drafts, they did not return the value that the pick a manager used to take them thought they were going to get. I'm willing to bet that manager in your league, if it was a if it was a fab league, spent too much fab on those players, and they're regretting it. In dynasty leagues, I get it, obviously. I mean, you, you take these young guys, and you know your value of Jared Kelnick probably hasn't really changed that much despite the terrible major league season, right? He's still, you know, one of the premier young players in the sport. And I still expect him to perform as such, but in keeper leagues, which again, this is, this is keeper cut. Like in your standard 12 team, keep eight or whatever. What are we doing? Spending so much draft capital or fab on these players for every Shane McClanahan. It feels like there are 37 Daniel Lynch's I am done using high draft picks on prospects, especially ones who are not even guaranteed a roster spot because no one actually ever knows when a player is getting called up. I am tired of hearing before seasons, oh no, yeah, this guy will definitely be called up after the first two weeks or very shortly thereafter. Rarely is that ever the case. And even when they do get called up, by the way, the chance they perform the way you were expecting them to is far from likely. Think about how early people were taking Luis Robert in 2020. And it originally looked like a genius move, and he definitely had streaks that were great. But at the end of the year, it was like, oh, wow, I probably spent too much on Luis Robert. Now, in a keeper league, obviously it's different if you if you did keep him because he's terrific and he's going to continue to go in the top 30 for probably years now. So I don't mean to pick on Luis Robert. He's kind of a poor case for the case I'm trying to make here. But in 2020, he would have been a good one. He was going very early in my drafts, and he did not perform as well as he should have. I just think sometimes people are too willing to overinvest in unproven talent, even in dynasty leagues. Like it's okay to win year one. I'm done taking risks that are not worth it. Like there are good risks. You have to take risks to win. Trust me, I know. That's why I have rosters with players like Chris Sale, Adalberto Mondesi, and Jack Flaherty. Like, yes, you have to take risks. But I'm going to let some other guy in my leagues take Edward Cabrera over Eduardo Rodriguez or Joe Adele over a guy I really like, Lord Scurriel Jr. I could end up missing out on pretty awesome players, and I could end up missing out on a pretty awesome keeper as well. But with so many injuries and so much volatility, I just want to raise the floor of my team. And I think you can't do that when you're over-investing in hype in young talent or in injured players thinking if everything just goes to plan, I'll have an absolutely unbeatable team. But everything going to plan rarely ever happens and your team is so much more likely to bottom out when you make those crazy picks or you spend too much on that prospect. You're really handicapping yourself. Now, the people listening to this 
who are winning their leagues because Alec Manoa is spinning a gem today or winning their leagues because Shane McClanahan picked up their rotation just when they need it. They're laughing at me, but I promise if you continue to over-invest in prospects, if that's what you're doing, those two, those two kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are expecting huge 2021s out of Alec Manoa and Shane McClanahan. I think you cannot over-invest in the draft in prospects and then still end up with some pretty awesome rookies. That's not... You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't do that. But if you continue to overinvest in prospects, in injured players, I think it's going to blow up in your face. And for me, it did this year. For me, it, it definitely did this year in, in quite a few leagues, especially with those Tommy John guys. But uh, that's just clearly, clearly on me. So number three for me. So again, we're doing my my takeaways. What did I learn from 2021? And without question, I, well, I guess I guess it is a question. What do I do with stolen bases in 2022? This has been a nightmare of a category for most people. Let me read you really quickly stolen league-wide stolen base totals since 2011. I'm going to skip 2020 because that was obviously the shortened COVID year. We only played 60 games, so the total is is different from everything else. But here's by season. In 2021, you know what? No, let's let's go all the way back to 2011. Let's work our way to today. In 2011, there were 3,279 stolen bases. 2012, 3,229. 2013, 2,693. 2014, 2,764. 2015, 2,505. 2016, 2,537. 2017, 2,527. 2018, 2,474, 2019, 2,280, and this year, 2021, 2,185 steals. So if that was too much, if I was just throwing too much at you, basically 10 years ago, there was 3,279 steals. This year, there was 2,185. We've lost a third of the total possible steals. So the, the, the stat itself is going away. It's archaic. It's a fossil at this point. The top 10 base stealers this year, Starling Marte, Whit Merrifield, Trey Turner, Cedric Mullins, Miles Straw, Tommy Edmond, Jose Ramirez, Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis Jr., Bo Bichette. Eight out of 10 of those names are gone within the first three rounds next year. Quite a few of those are gone in the first round. For keeper leagues, barely any of those guys are going to be available, period. Maybe Miles Straw and Tommy Edmond. The days of just waiting and taking Leonis Martin or Raji Davis or Michael Bourne or Scott Pedzetnik or whoever, those days are long gone. The stat is dying. I don't like the idea of punting a category, but I feel as the years go on, when you miss out on one of the elite players who also steal bases like Tatis Jr. or Jose Ramirez, you're going to have to continue to pay a steeper and steeper price to get players who... A, won't do much else, and B, they probably won't steal enough bases to make it worth it anyway. So I'm, I'm just not sure what to do here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I guess my strategy is I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to stay not consciously draft steals. Like I'm not gonna stress about it during the draft. If at the end of the draft I have steals, that's great. If I don't, we'll figure it out. I'd rather be the guy who somehow finds, you know, Robbie Grossman and Nicky Lopez, and it just allows me to stay afloat in the category. 
because this at some point i think fantasy baseball i think the industry itself is going to make a shift i don't know what that shift is going to be to but the category is disappearing and that's it i mean i i don't know what else to really say about it if you are somebody who has one of those young elite players who steal bases i mean it's it's almost like a cheat code but also keep in mind that guys just stop stealing bases almost abruptly and out of nowhere. They get to a certain point where the team says it's not worth it to have you try to steal bases. We want you to stay healthy. We want you to just hit. I expect that to happen, for example, with Ronald Acuna Jr. When he returns, he just tore his ACL. They're not going to want him stealing bases. So I I have a hard time really with stolen bases. I always have. I'm going to try to maybe not consciously worry about it and and be active on the waiver wire if I end up after the draft without stolen bases. So those really are my four takeaways here. Is it is it time to stop ignoring catcher? You know, should I should I start being more conscious of who my catcher is? Number 2, I'm done drafting injured players. If you're injured going into the draft, I mean, I I I just I don't think I can take you anymore. It's blown up in my face too many times. I'm also done. This is number three with drafting prospects too high. It doesn't mean that I think they're going to be bad. I'm not trying to embrace a poor strategy for keeper leagues because obviously I'd love to have Jared Kelnick in most keeper formats. But I I want to win now. And I just don't think, especially with what we've seen the last two years, it's smart to invest too much in young talent. Finally, number four, what do we do with stolen bases? I think it's it's if you if you try too hard to get stolen bases, you're gonna drive yourself insane. Just try to stay afloat in the category and and be active on the waiver wire. So that does it for me, folks. Hopefully, you know, we get a little bit of a response here from Chad, maybe get his takeaways. I can't say that's a guarantee. If we don't get his takeaways this week, then I'm sure we will on the next episode next week. But as always, please follow us at at keep or cut. Leave us a review, a comment, a rating, all that good stuff. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter at at Pete B Baseball. Give Chad a follow at at Chad Young. He's always churning out great content. And tune in because there may be another episode this week. Otherwise, folks, even though by now, by the time you're listening to this, it is too late in your championships. I will say it anyway. Good luck and see you next week. <laughs>